Welcome to the Conditional Release Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crimson, con artists. We don't like these people in its shows. We believe the best way to expose them is to hold them up to a harsh light, point our index fingers in their general direction and mock them mercilessly, take them down a peg or two until they cease to exist in any other form than the shit on our shoes. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and a few episodes ago, Jack reported that the state of Virginia had charged an Australian pedophile priest, Paul David Ryan, with historical child sex offences going back to the late 1970s. Now, Jack is a pedophile hunter of the finest pedigree, and in our deeper dive today, he's going to tell us all about Paul David Ryan and the astonishing news that he was allowed to walk away from the church with a significant payout rather than being charged with criminal offences. Now, this all happened remains a deep and dirty secret, and we'll tear that open today and throw a bit of sunlight around, but now we need to get to all the news that's happening around the world and in our own backyard. Well, not my Mm. backyard, which is a lovely place. Stay the fuck out of my backyard. But our backyard, Australia, where trouble is brewing on both sides of the dingo fence, and we're going to tell you all about it. It's the Conditional Release Program's weekly news. But in the meantime, uh, we cannot look in our own backyard as we need to travel across the pond despite border closures and kick off the news with a lighthearted look at the culture wars in the USA, which is... Somewhat mm. our backyard. You know, we like to think it is. Uh, we are the oh. 51st state after all. Um, now, over the past few years, we have seen hilarious examples of conservatives vandalizing their own property in order to gain sympathy from social media. In 2016, we had the 85-year-old in Mississippi, you may have seen this, who probably remembers the good old days a little bit too fondly, had his driveway <laughs> spray-painted with Black's Rule and a burned Confederate Black's flag. Black's Rule. Mm. Black's Rule, yes. The big catchphrase that's taking over the Ebonics in America. The old bloke went on local TV claiming that the people who'd done this and the people behind this are really evil, which is a pretty funny example of rejection, considering it's pretty clear that he did it to himself. <laughs> Another example of an embarrassing political hoax is Ashley Todd. I didn't actually know about her until I researched this. She was a volunteer for John McCain who falsely claimed to have been assaulted by an Obama supporter. Now, mm-hmm. the dead fucking giveaway is the fact that the assailant apparently cut a bee into her cheek, but it was reversed, which is what happens when you do it in the mirror. And basically, because, you know, like you're in the mirror, you do it backwards. I did this once myself. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> and not, not that I fabricated an attack and the and the attacker allegedly told her you are going to be a Barack supporter which is the most awkward threat Barack. I've heard of my entire Barack, there's, well there's the B you are going to be a Barack supporter <laughs> and, Barack and then Barricka. like and it walks back into the shadows like what so like despite reeking of total bullshit it was mm. obviously total catnip to the usual sounds suspects quite right just broadcast a shit out of this which almost <laughs> certainly let's face it some some like Tucker Carlson may have had a little bit of race baiting involved in an effort to appear bipartisan we must remember to mention old Jussie Smollett old Juss has a pretty extensive IMDB listing and really fucked up when he claimed to have been attacked by two men wearing ski masks outside his home mm-hmm. who called him racial and homophobic slurs saying this is MAGA country yes uh, pouring a liquid over him that that some said was bleach and then putting a noose around his neck. So mm. elaborate. I mean, it was... <laughs> yeah, so lefties can be massive uh, culture war bullshit ass as well. Don't forget yes. that. Everyone's a fuckwit these days. So despite history being littered with examples of why you absolutely should not do this because you will get caught... The Congresswoman for South Carolina's 1st District, Nancy Mace, took to social media to strongly condemn the vandals that attacked her home. Oh, yes. And and I quote, We can disagree on things politically, but this is not the way to handle disagreements. You know, yes. Beyond the pile. This is my home. My kids live here, which is good for now, I suppose, after stunts like this, I imagine the family court doesn't. Poor children. It's the children I worry about. I do actually worry about having such a pilled (laughs) lunatic of a mother. But anyway, at least they're on a good pay packet. So she makes a guided tour of the vandalism, including calling the anarchy symbol the Antifa symbol, which just shows a general sense of intelligence. Mm. And not only that, but the anarchy symbols were just bad. It's like (laughs) little capital A inside a circle. It wasn't good. Uh, it just uh, didn't really. It just. It. Ah, oh, these are bad anarchists. Maybe not so skilled with the uh, with the spray cans. You know, whoever was doing. But Antifa are amazing at spray paint. That's all they ever do. <laughs> they also wrote all true. politicians yeah. are bastards. And this mm. is a really good one. Uh, APAB. Pass the pro act. 
as well, which is great. It's this, the Pro Act. I had to look this up. It's a union back bill to remove some of the more like ridiculous labor laws in the USA. She's a Horrifying. big fan of all those, like you know, you can be fired at a moment's notice and blah blah blah. <laughs> so probably realizing how dumb this looks that mm. like. You know, she's making this as some sort of Antifa thing. She's now pivoted to claim that it was pro-labor organizers that did it. You know, the uh, ones who are fi- very, very involved in the pro-act. But basically, she's just saying it's the Seems to be obsessed about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, I mean, this is, this is, she's really, she's backed big <laughs> on this because this is really embarrassing. So basically, she says it's the left. You know, it's a big bad left. It's Antifa. It's pro-labor. It's anyone. But the thing that's crazy is when, when you watch her with these big blue lying eyes, she just speaks so... <laughs> So naturally, <laughs> saying things that are completely untrue, showing that she's just an unhinged sociopath. Look, uh, it's only, it's it's not lying if you if you think it's true, yeah. um, Giles. So you know she say she has that going for her. Look, it, and it's not the first time either. Um, a month before her election, her car was vandalised by a politically motivated attack. I wonder oh. if it was the labour unions then, yeah. which she milked for all it's worth in the media. Amazingly similar how the letter F in fact looks so similar to the one on her doorstep. Oh and wow. Tifa seems to have consistent writing styles. Yeah. Perhaps they've all been trained in cursive script. Yes, Amazing. the same teacher. Must have been the same people. Yeah, it must have been the same people. I must mean, like, have been. What's Has the other been. explanation? It's a very sad yeah. state of affairs. You see, Antifa are at yeah. it again. They're Fucking always antifing things. They just won't let <laughs> anything in. stay yeah. unantifed, and it just, just yeah. makes me sick. Some Americans just want Where a nice warm go? apple pie antifing. and a shitty eagle. And they did it on Memorial Day, the, <laughs> the eaglest of all days. This really nails in the contempt that Antifa have for our fallen yeah. soldiers. No respect. Uh, yes, I can see that. It's terrible. So completely underestimating the power of internet detectors on Twitter, people immediately <laughs> saw this as being fucking bullshit. Straight so, away. Just straight away. It's just like it's like the first few comments are like, ah, oh, this looks sus. So author Best Cowell, blue check on Twitter, ticked off the carnage by comparing publicly available documents that display Nancy's handwriting and the Uh-oh. comparisons are just so clear. This the is clear A's. her handwriding. The A's, the A's, the A's the were a dead giveaway. Uh, identical. Absolutely yeah, and they're shit. So Nancy yep. also has a home security system which she proudly boasts of with a sign outside. Either it doesn't exist or it's pretty mm. shit. Yeah, it's just a, perhaps she's just got the sign. Yeah, it could just be the sign with no actual system. <laughs> but she also, and everyone saw in the photos oh. of her bleating about the, the, the vandalism, there's a ring system installed which is a motion-detecting doorbell camera. Oh, so where's go. the footage, Nance? Where's the footage, mate? She even fucked up the police report by claiming she got home at 8 a.m., but posted the photos at 6.50. Now, there's a Nancy, conundrum. Nancy, there's a conundrum. be consistent. What's what's wrong here? I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe you're lying. Despite the overwhelming evidence that she did this to herself, there's still a bunch of people with eagle and flag display pictures on Twitter backing her story because... These people are stupid. They are very stupid. And if you're wondering why she would do such a thing, it's because of these stupid people. There's a grift. She's using it to raise funds from outraged idiots using terms like the radical left and Antifa in an inflammatory mm. fundraising email. I'm sure it's not the first she's done this. I'm sure it's not the last she'll do because she's just a fuckwit. And unfortunately, if this is what the Congress and the most powerful country in the world is doing, we're doing. Well, speaking of delusional Americans with a compulsive lying disorder, um, Donald Trump has apparently been out spreading the word that he's going to be president once again in August. He's yes, back. Yes, he is, yes. He's coming back in August. According to Maggie Haberman uh, from Trump's favourite newspaper, the uh, the New York Times, he's been telling anyone who'll listen that he is a sure thing to be back in the house in a few months. August. He's back in mm-hmm. August. Sorry. If you're getting deja vu from this, you're not alone. The goalposts have shifted several times this year, but after April 4 came and went, that's the last date, by the way, we figured that was it. But now... It's August. Yep, yep. It's just those goalposts. So the idea appears to have come from Mike Lindell, who said, if Trump is saying August, that's probably because he heard me say it. Which came from Mike. Very, very funny. It really takes off the mystique and mirage of the whole thing, and you realize <laughs> it's just a crackhead pillow salesman it's saying just, this. If this is a psyop, it's 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 very uncomplicated. It's pretty basic. So he's utterly obsessed with the idea that the election was fraudulent and has released hours of rambling content to back up these claims, but it's all complete bullshit. As always, complete catnip to, to nutcases. I mean, like, August is apparently when Lindell is going to take his 900 or so hours of video footage and ketchup-stained documents to the Supreme Court which is just going to be so convincing 
as he says, the Supreme Court will be forced to overturn the result. And speaking of catnip to lunatics, this has given a fresh new life to the Betfair Trump punters. Remember them? (laughs) (laughs) God bless the Betfair Trump punters. Someone's got to bless them. Look, if you're a new listener, there's a group of people who believe so much in the big lie that Trump had won the election that they bet big on him after the election. Yeah, after the votes had actually been counted and he had actually lost, they bet huge money on giant sweeping giant odds, odds. Yeah, long odds. <clears throat> that he was going to be the next president because they figured he would. And there was this whole lead up to inauguration day, which completely crushed them because the whole QAnon <laughs> yeah. thing was that there was going to be this like sort of like coup type thing where – Joe Biden, Lady Gaga, Tom Hanks, and all the rest were going to be ran up shot on television. Yes. And as a result, Trump goes back in, and these guys were all going to become fucking millionaires. I know. No such luck, though. It was a crippling day. How did it go wrong? (laughs) How did that that strong theory go wrong? Yeah, look, inauguration day was really, you know, it it was as low. I'm sure if you ask them all, they'd say that was was the low point. Yeah, that that, that was quite boring, if anything. But, like, look, you can't keep a good bitch down, and these guys have taken to this whole August claim like flies on shit. It's their last chance of survival financially, really. They think they're going to get their money, finally, and then for some reason, everyone who works at Betfair just ends <laughs> up in jail because like, everyone yeah. has to go to jail. Everyone's got to go to jail. Any of these Oof. situations, always everyone goes to jail. I don't know why. few people shot, possibly, but the rest yeah, yeah. off to jail. And yeah. while the recent audit in Arizona was giving them just enough hope to get by, having a Supreme Court date now to get it sorted out once and for all is the shot in the arm these people needed. Sure, their wives have already filed for divorce and their children taken from them, but it's never too late to get them back. Or oh. Some may decide to simply rub their newfound riches in their ex-partners' faces. There's nothing like a win over those that have vanquished you previous. So, in reality, August will come and go, and these people will find a new date to hang their hopes on. Because, you see, goalposts are made for shifting, and that's what these people are going to do. But we will keep you posted as to how, where, and why the posts move about the place over the coming months and possibly years, because at the end of the day... We think it's pretty funny. We do. It is. It is very funny. And staying in the greatest country on earth, not our backyards, someone else's backyard, Yes. we find ourselves at a crossroads. We, we want to kill criminals, but we don't know how. It's a, real, it's a real conundrum. One of the United States of America, the great state of Arizona, has decided to look into the history books to see how they should carry out their state-sanctioned murders. And when they came up with was Zyklon B, Yep, they're using the same shit the Nazis did to kill the Jews. And while Zyklon B was simply a charming brand name the Nazis gave hydrogen cyanide gas, it's still the same stuff. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? I, I read this story first in uh, the Jerusalem Post. Yes. And uh, where there were more than an eyebrow raised uh, yep. Over there, as you can well imagine. But let's put aside the incredibly insensitive gesture of using the same gas that killed millions of Jews in the Holocaust. It's actually a pretty shit way to go. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. awful. The last one took 18 minutes. This is a a gas chamber execution. Yeah, it's not good. Which is an awfully long time and and saw the poor bastard coughing violently until he died. It's, It's not ideal. It's not, no. Uh, ironically, the last person to be executed in Arizona in a gas chamber by cyanide gas was a German national. Whew, and that is fucked up for all sorts of yes, reasons. Yes, it is. But the other problem the great state of Arizona has is that its last execution in 2014, this one by lethal injection, took, wait for it, 15 injections and two hours before the condemned man died, which obviously crosses the Eighth Amendment to the US Constitution, which expressly prohibits the state, any state, the United States, in fact, from conducting executions that involve cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. Well, we're speaking of Arizona, who, just as a side note, are pretty fucked in the head politically these days. They're having, yeah. Yeah, the audit. One of their violent tilts to the right at the moment through the GOP. They've gone and they've bought $2,000 worth of stuff, and basically they're making sure their gas chamber still works. Where would they get that from? Would would they they buy it on the dark web? I mean, maybe the Stormfront forums. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, has anyone got any of that old stuff? Hey, hey, Nazis, Nazis. (laughs) Has anyone got any? Yeah. To be fair, yeah. I'd say some of those lawmakers have extensive World off. War II memorabilia. Well, probably got ripped off with their two grand. It's really only, you know, it's really only, you know, it's been cut with something and it's really only yeah. $500. That's what you get when you go and get your Zyklon B down the docks. Oh, so, God. 
they need to check out whether their gas chamber still works. It's been sitting idle for 22 years, which sounds yeah. like a long time, but it's a fucking gas chamber. <laughs> Why probably, they kept it is just probably beyond Probably a fairly me. thick door. Uh, it's just- yeah. Buck, it's just gross. The last execution in Australia was in 1967 when this sort of thing was a bit more normal. Like Ronald Ryan hanged in uh, in Melbourne, yes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that could be like, you know, maybe we could let the whole state-sanctioned execution rest. So the manufacturer of euthanasia drugs have a tendency to prohibit sales for state-sanctioned murder, which has yeah. made the lethal execution business a big old hassle. Now, there are still various drugs that are used to euthanize animals and people, and they are sold on a basis that their use is to only kill our best friends and pets and our elderly parents, not on convicted criminals because Antifa are ruining society. I mean, no. no, no yeah, no. well, they're antifing again. And, well, they uh, are. That's, this is how they antif. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so in the search for a new and novel way to kill people who were either convicted of heinous crimes or being black in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, Arizona uh, has uh, watched a few documentaries on the History Channel and decided to give the gas chamber another world. Charming stuff. But back at home, we're finally back in our own backyard. We had close friends of the program, our anti-lockdown mates, the Millions March Cranks, marching towards police. Yeah, we have to give a big thank you to Sandy and SOS149 on Twitter for including thank you, us thank in you. all their deep diving. Man, these guys are well in the thick of it. Well, the Millions March Against Mandatory Vaccination had yet another pointless rally against a thing that is not a thing. Not a thing. Mandatory vaccination's not a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing. It's not just thing. not. But if no. the weather is good, it's nice to go out to the park and have a chat with like-minded individuals, I Aww. suppose. Friends we're meeting along the way, as Ron Watkins would say. He really did say that. What a fucking gronk. Uh, so, of course, the stakes went up dramatically as new cases of COVID were found in Melbourne and the state was locked down for the fourth time. And this kind of plays out well for these people as they are literally anti-lockdown protesters. So what better way to protest a lockdown than basically flaunt the rules, cause a ruckus in the city and live stream it on social media? Uh, and a ruckus was caused. A ruckus, a fully blown ruckus. It was. Which is more than double a Donnybrook. It was, yeah, fully blown a ruckus. <laughs> fully, fully blown ruckus, you know, at least a triple Donnybrook a in my ruckus. view. Lots of idiots yelling nothing in particular about the Constitution, which they love to do. They love I mean, doing it. Yes, and almost more live streams than actual people attending. I mean, that's the thing everyone is filming. Two hands, yeah. The mood was riotous and truly seditious. Uh, oh, yeah. The cops uh, that these uh, the cops that these people were cheerleading some six odd months ago were truly the enemies of the people on the day. And remember last year when they were chanting "Uphold the right" at the cops and trying to do the whole "cops are tops" thing? Shit's really changed since then. Yeah, yeah, they're not carrying the whole thin blue line thing anymore. That's for fucking sure. Check out Telegram. Nah, so it's there were. On. There it really is. There were a few fun highlights on the day, and of course, all of them were caught on camera. Monica Smith was there, reportedly never too far from her car, armed with a very handy excuse that she's a carer for a friend who lives near the protest. Well done. How do we know this? She said, while being recorded live on the internet, that it was going to be her bullshit excuse if the cops asked, which is oh, just incredible. Go. Oh, so, um, so what lie are you telling That's today? corroboration then. Yes, really, okay. really good. It's just like lying all the time. One woman who actually does work in aged care, or until she did this, that is, went up to a nine news team and breathed on them. Ooh. Like, this is just such a classy move by some of the weirdest people in the world. Like, I don't give a shit if there's a pandemic or not. That's an insane thing to do. Well, like, I mean, it could be. It, I, I just don't think it's met, you know, in the in the you know sort of hot breath on your neck sort of style in this seductive no. way. But just don't go walk up to people and breathe on them, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> like, what are you doing? The biggest news of the day and the biggest story in the aftermath is that of Nick Banjo-Patterson. He runs an MMA gym of sorts and used to fight in the circuit. Patterson has helped establish an incredibly cringe new outfit called the Australian Peacemakers, who are ironically titled because they sure seem to like fighting <laughs> and speak suspiciously like a militia group. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. They ran at the cops like they knew what they were doing. So the peacemakers are a pro-job outfit as they are clearly creating hundreds of new jobs in the intelligence and law enforcement agencies, which is great for the economy. Oh, yeah. Think of all the jobs boost. they're creating. I mean, like, you know, so if you see it that way, they're not so bad. The online manifesto states they'll behave as a vigilante group, basically, with a strong Christian-based ethos to vaguely protect people from police violence and 
quote, watch government authorities? Just like, sit what, and watch them. What are you going to do? Like, go to Parliament House in the fucking viewing gallery? Like, no, what the? F- what does that even mean? Go to like, the Treasury building and just, you know. Yeah, just hang out the a, front. Pull out, <laughs> yeah, take out one of those fold-up chairs and just sit in front of it and watch. Bring an esky with a few brewskis in it. <laughs> fucking have a good them. day. Yeah. yeah. No so I just I just don't understand this. I just do not understand how they're planning to carry out this fucking bizarre old mission they're doing. But I tell you who did try and show how they're planning to carry it out. Fucking Nick Patterson on the weekend. He showed quite Shall clearly and he the footage weekend. is shown. Yeah, well he's uh he's he hasn't done much recently because he's been in fucking remand. Oh so, yes, that's yes, sorry, like the previous week I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, no yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's been uh, he's been having a bit of a quiet one recently. Um so yes. Patterson's a bit of a sobsip and he has a weird bunch of ideas about how self-defense works, especially with the police. He essentially thinks that if a police officer addresses you in a certain way, you get to punch him in the face. Oh, and look, he I'm believes sure this that, shit. That's that's really not how it works. No, um, it's not. No, you go in for six months minimum. So I wish I was kidding about this, but he has said this on video that He's actually like he really believes that punching a cop almost unprovoked is a form of self-defense and there's some legal basis for it. He's gonna have to test this out in court. I think that video is going to do him no favors in his appellate court case. No. Not not helpful. And fast forward to the next weekend, Saturday, fifth of June, and we have yet another protest, but this one was different. It was national heroes. Our national heroes, small business owners, the virtuous the virtuous, the engine room of our economy. Oh yeah. Heroes. The guy at the fruit shop, the hairdresser, the butcher, the restaurant, the, the candlestick maker, uh, friends of the community <laughs> and vital elements of our society and economy. Well, no, they, they no. stayed at home. No. So, Joel, who did turn up? Well, of course, anti-vaxxers and RDA fuckwits, uh, they're the ones who showed up and they made <laughs> lots of noise. There was actually a genuine attempt to get business owners down there by a group of moderate types. And I say moderate Uh-oh. types, they're not Nazis, who run this, like, function room hire business that they're probably upset they're losing some money it always comes down to personal loss and it was hijacked by the usual idiots and let's face it these fuckheads did pair up with rda and other usual morons to try and get the word out what did they expect but at the end of the day they actually expressed disappointment that instead of business owners pleading their case it was just a bunch of show pony political extremists using as opportunity to get arrested on camera Mm. The real ruction, a freedom fighter photographer type who turns up to everything, is definitely on the police radar because he got a love letter the night before. Once again, proved to be an excellent source of self-incriminating evidence for these people on a Facebook live stream. <laughs> it's just great how they're like, you know. They're filming themselves. Yeah, we've got this footage and it's going to prove we did nothing wrong. Oh, oh, that's me Uh-oh. breaking the law. We're, do- we're oh. actually doing something delete, wrong. Delete, delete, delete. So the thing that's amazing is like after being warned the night before the the protest, not to turn up or face arrest. They didn't even touch him. They left him completely alone. I genuinely don't know what they're protesting at this point because there's no police state. The police are almost being nice to these people until they provoke them to the point where they must be arrested. Then they resist and then they scream about how the police were really mean to them. <laughs> I just don't get how. Sorry, police they, force. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Like, honestly, I was expecting so many don't more cracked them. heads. They, they like, really don't like it and, and they get very upset when it they, happens. They do, but then they let you off down the fucking Allegedly, road. It's amazing. I should say. Allegedly, Allegedly yeah. I should yeah. say because, yes. Do not yes, get them angry at us. Because that's right, because there are matters before the courts in in, in, in particular yes. in, yes. involving assault police. We would hate to influence them at all. So we, we had would. a lineup of people just kind of walking up to the cops and annoying them until they got arrested. It was like a mm. procedure. And there was this first this South African guy who did this very, very effective whinge and then went down yelling and screaming, ah, oh, fuck, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like it was embarrassing. <laughs> but then we had Morgan C. Jonas looking great with his hair done. Like it looked like he really like paid attention to his appearance <laughs> because <laughs> – he knew he was going to be on camera. Spruced up for a day's arresting. He really was. He was in his best Sunday best tracksuit. Like, he was just, you know, fucking ready for it. So he starts whinging about the survival rate of COVID, which he didn't appear to know. And let's face it, whatever number he comes up with is almost certainly going to be wrong. Going to be wrong. Gonna I really wrong. like when they say it's got, it's got a 97% survival rate. You're like, so 3% of people are going to die. Do you know how many people that is? Like, have you not thought about this? Have you not checked out the fucking maths? Realistically, when it comes down to it, this was just a uh, staged arrest. It was all theatrical. He was yelling out, like, you know, uh, show me proof of the excess deaths from COVID, which you could just Google. 
You yeah. just put in excess deaths from COVID and like all these graphs come up. But he like apparently like his, his phone's broken or he can't use the internet. I don't know. He then <laughs> went on when he was arrested. He got really shirty and started yelling and calling cops fucking dogs, which is very, Ooh, very naughty. They don't, they don't like that either. No, don't they do that. don't. And it's amazing. They even put his hat back on his head when he dropped it. Like the cops were violently nice to him. And <laughs> while he's there swearing and carrying on, whinging about the fucking dictatorship, he didn't even get charged. Didn't even get charged with a fucking oh, offence, despite gee. swearing at police, resisting arrest, turning up to a fucking unauthorised protest when you've been warned not to, and they fucking let him go like a see, small fish. So I would have given him a hamburger with a lot, but uh, yeah. that's what he almost certainly wanted. Yeah. Not getting charged, really screwed with the ability to milk this for donations after the fact. What a shame. I'm guessing they saw the money and praise uh, Nick Patterson got for punching cops and decided... They want a slice of the action. They all got a yeah. little arrest videos on the day and they were published fucking minutes after they happened. Funny that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What a surprise. I wonder how that works. So we then had the cops draw their attention to someone having a passionate rant across the street, referring to their business owner friend. She went <laughs> on and on about how hard the lockdown I was. Have a friend who's a business owner. Yeah. Mm. And then like we tried to peel the cops. Oh, did you know that COVID's a hoax? Like, fuck off. So, oh, God. Ruction behind the camera was he, this guy I swear to god he's got an iq about 90 he's going on about how a small business owner a small business owner is being accosted here a small business owner she never even <laughs> said that but one of the great little telltale things where you realize the only people there were rda people is toward the end when she's being arrested she turns to ruction and says hey ruction are you getting this are you getting this small business owner my fucking ass i had my hair done yeah <laughs> that's it exactly what so a- there you have it. Two weekends, two shitty and pointless protests. Pointless. Which leads us seamlessly into the conditional release program's anti-vaxxer updates. And first with some good news. Early on Friday morning Australian Eastern Time, the world passed a significant milestone. At some tick of the clock or other, the two billionth COVID-19 vaccine was administered. And it has been some domestic toing and froing about our own uh, vaccination rollout. Is it a race or not? Well, let's assume it is. Israel is three lengths in front of the term with almost 65% of the population fully vaccinated. Ahead of the UK, 58.3, Chile, 56.6, and the US, 51. In the US, 87% of the population have had at least one shot. In Europe, it is closer to 45. Now, it's fair to say Australia is well back in the field with just 2.1% of the population fully vaccinated. While it might charge home later in the year and more likely early in the next, it's hard to see Australia making up the numbers in the trifecta. And the first thing that occurred to me is what a monumental human achievement this is. Now, let's just take a moment to think about that. This is a triumph of sorts and a victory for public and private partnerships. And if we take a look in the rearview mirror to a year ago, we were less than three months out from the World Health Organization's declaration of a pandemic, which occurred on March 11, 2020. Uh, Previously, the fastest vaccine to go from development to deployment was the mumps vaccine, which began in the lab in 1963 before being rolled out for the first time four years later. And one of the drivers for this extraordinary accomplishment, and credit where it's due, was the Trump administration. And back in May 2020, while the Donald, not long after us, and the next month was on about bleach and ultraviolet light. And oh, God. <laughs> just completely crazy stuff. Just fucking uh, but, but back in May 2020, the uh, uh, president announced Operation Warp Speed, a public-private partnership initially funded with uh, $13 billion of public money to promote mass production of vaccines based on preliminary evidence. So every stage of production, research, development, manufacture and distribution was abbreviated to avoid delays in the rollout of safe vaccines. Manufacture often occurred prior to food and drug administration approval in the anticipation some vaccines would not make the FDA cut. And the scientists, the virologists, the microbiologists and the immunologists had their own way of speeding up the process by using existing platforms for COVID-19 vaccine, albeit at the pointy end of immunology. And most vaccines rely on inactivated viruses, flu and tetanus, for example, or weakened or attenuated virus strains, measles and mumps for example. Um, to fight COVID-19, scientists use more advanced available vaccine platforms in laboratory use 
uh, for the research and development of HIV, SARS, and Ebola vaccines. And those platforms rely on messenger RNA and viral vectors to produce spike proteins, which stimulate the immune system to produce antibodies to combat coronavirus, just as it would in the case of infection. I hesitate to use the first-person plural pronoun because most of us, including me, can barely understand it. But let's put that to one side and reflect on the obvious. As a species, we really are pretty damn smart, Uh, with one or two little caveats. Yeah, there's a couple of them. This weekend, (laughs) in the most pilled city in the country, your fucking hometown of Melbourne. Yay, Melbourne. A bunch of galaxy brain anti-vaxxers decided it would be a good idea to go to the places administering the COVID vaccine and hassle people in line. Turned out to be a lot more talk than action, though, which is probably a good thing, as they simply didn't have the numbers, or just as likely they realised it was a really fucking bad idea and didn't go. Yes, it was inspired by a genuinely shit person last week who filmed herself doing the same. And listen to Tim Taylor. G'day, Tim sent us this in this charming video of a complete fuckwit hanging out with Jackie Dundee, who is apparently Pitbull Cray Cole's sister. They do look similar. It's actually quite terrifying. Imagine how irritating that fucking dinner table would be over oh. Christmas. Uh, she just vaguely states that the jab is going to kill people. Going to kill you all in three years. Uh, while mostly mumbling to herself on on a live stream, I wrote about this in the Australian too. Still, it's set a precedent that it's okay to annoy people in line waiting for a vaccine. That's really unpleasant. Yeah, I don't know if the cops are going to agree with that. So, it's a bit of a shame it didn't go ahead. I personally would have loved to watch it because the cops were totally onto it, and they're clearly on the same Telegram yeah, channels as these fuckwits. Yeah, and yeah, and there was a decent police presence around the the hubs in the weekend. So I was looking forward to some very funny arrests and some great footage of uh, pilled lunatics walking around saying, "Oh, the vaccine makes you infertile," and then being violently accosted by Victoria's finest. But unfortunately, I think they've realised either before or during this process that nobody outside of Facebook or Telegram actually agrees with <laughs> Well, and that's, that's – they're actually starting to learn this. And I they looked so. at this and went, oh, yeah, well, they nah. shit themselves, didn't they? They did just shit themselves. They would have. I would have. And in other fantastic news, Naomi Wolf has been given the ass from Twitter. Thank so, fucking Christ. She oh was my so awful. She's so, a terrible, terrible so person. Awful. She's just become so horribly pilled. And now it's so time for this. Pilled. A segment of the program where we scratch our heads and wonder who could possibly say something that fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they didn't, but someone did. Yeah. And we'll find out who in multiple choice question and answer format when we pose the question, which, like Bill Fuckwit, said that. <laughs> So this week we are playing a charity round. For every answer Jack gets wrong, a donation we made in his name to Nick Patterson's Legal Defence Fund. <laughs> I tell you, it won't be coming out of my bank account. So if you fuck these up, you are absolutely enabling these little children to fuck up in Melbourne. Just, just pick them carefully. Doing it for banjo. All right. Do, do it for banjo or, or don't. Um, so our first one is a listener submission, an absolute cracker. Friend of the podcast, Dave Hunter, otherwise known as Bark on Twitter sent us in this casual call for a coup. That's a Mm two-parter. We want to know who responded in the affirmative. Okay. So the question was, I want to know why what happened in Minamar can't happen here. (laughs) This is a question from a Marine in the audience. (laughs) That's right. You heard it. Minamar. 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 Not not minibar. No. No. Although that being said, it was held in a hotel conference, so maybe that was what he was channeling. Um (laughs) The response was, no reason. I mean, it should happen here. No reason. That's right. Oh, I know this. Uh, <laughs> okay. I was, was kind of hoping through, you would. You can, you can run through this, yes. But, I really uh, don't want to give Nick Patterson any money. So <laughs> is it a very tired and reluctant Joe Biden who just mm. wants an excuse for it all to just be over? You know, just call mm. it a day. The coup would actually do him a real favor. Yes. Trump lawyer and soon to be $1.3 billion poorer, Sidney Powell, who shared the stage. He might win. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> Everyone's it's quite possible. Yeah. Mm. Somehow a former general in the actual US Army, I cannot believe he was National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Well, only briefly. I mean, well. <laughs> he didn't, it, didn't, didn't really, it didn't really work out for him. More than a moment is a lot of concern. And then there's the classic war hawk and moustache master, John Bolton. Yeah, who's basically an ocean of common sense compared to, the, to, to, to Isn't um, that B up? and C and Joe. Sleepy Joe. Well, it couldn't have been Joe. Now, I do know this. I saw this during the week. I was absolutely astonished because Michael Flynn, he's still 
totally Q-pills. So pills. It was He's Michael making a career Flynn. out of it. There should it no was... reason why no reason why we shouldn't have a, a mini Marku. Yeah, oh, absolutely um, no reason at all. No reason at all. So, yeah. of course, this is one of the only people on the planet that doesn't think that Ron Watkins is Q <laughs> and still believes this bullshit. But he also said, backtracking very hard later, that there is no reason no, no. whatsoever no, 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 for no, no, any I, coup I, in I, America. I, yeah, I just I just wanted to clarify that I uh, do not. Yeah, you know, I am not. I'm not in the business of casual sedition. Exactly. I was just playing the classics for the audience. You know, it's, it's all good. Don't worry about it. You know, like it's it's sweet. So. Moving on, we have another viewer submission, which, uh, and this one was a freebie because the stubby holder had already gone. Right. A very good friend of the podcast, oh. Sandy, gave us this little gem of a quote, and I love okay. this one. Oh, Sandy, this Sandy already has has already. Uh, she, ha- uh, she has, has received like, bounty. Yes, she has. So mm. this one is great. This is the quote. This is the most disappointing Uber Eats order I've had. <laughs> I hate this. Is funny. So is this the Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrew upon learning of a boat arrival? Very disappointing. It's not what you asked for. It could be. It could be. Security <laughs> guard to the broken infamous Thanos Panayides, who's always there when you need him, except when you mm. do and then he's, he's not there. Um, Matt Gates, after accidentally ordering Uber Eats instead of a school child. Yeah. Just Whoopsies. Missed off. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to put in the coupon code to get the kid. I mean, like, how does he not know how trafficking works? He's an expert. And then we've got the attention-seeking man-child and anti-lockdown pest, Anthony Lev. It's either B or D. I have engineered it that way. Uh, and uh, I'm going to say yes, because he has been. You say you call him an, an attention-seeking man-child. Um, didn't he go down hard last weekend? <laughs> By the way, he got the old... Uh, um, police uh, headlock, oh, uh, bring he? him to the ground. Yeah, oh, got, got hit the oh, deck. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that he was hit the last deck week. Very, very hard. At the Sunday was, thing, yeah. That was just several hours after he was warned. Uh, he got served with a little love letter from Victoria Police uh, Force Chief Commissioner as well. Um, just watch them not I, charge look, him, too. Watch them he has just been not attention, charge him. He has been seeking a great deal of attention, has uh, young Anthony. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Anthony Lev. Like, look, you are taking food out of Nick Patterson's mouth right now. <laughs> yes. and, and the thing you, that I hate about you this- You will get fuck all from me, Banjo. The thing that sucks about this is the quote, it's kind of funny, but the sad thing about it is, is he probably thought it up days before the event or maybe like his mate told him. <laughs> and he's just waiting. He's just waiting yeah, for the cops to turn just up. Just waiting by the door. Yeah. And he's like trying to like find the best time on the live stream to say it. Like, you know, just what a- what a cock! Uh, so look, he's just showing, just showing the bravado that he has, you know, in the face of overwhelming and bullying from the Victoria Police Force. That's right, the kind of bullying that doesn't leave a he's mark or wind up with charges. Bit of a gag of it, God love yeah. him. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty pathetic. So on this one, this one might be trickier. So this, this is the quote: Pentagon UFO release just in time to cover for Fauci. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is, uh, number one, the artist formerly known as Q, a man who loves to ask questions from Ron Watkins. Yeah, yeah. The one angry of the caveman. The on the way. Oh, yes, exactly, yes. Angry caveman and supplement salesman uh, Alex Jones, who has got a vitamin for that, you mm-hmm. know, just no problem at all, just, you know. The man who puts the thorn into Hawthorne, Jeff Kennett, on one of his wild rants. Or, let's face it, Dr. Anthony Fauci himself, who is looking to become the next just Q. To, just to cover up. Just to look, cover up a bit. He knows yeah. the situation, so he throws yeah. these drops just down, cover, cover and then they his, come true. Cover his trail. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Pentagon UFO release just in time to cover for Fauci. Look, it's got to be Alex Jones. It's got to be. Ooh, Patterson is going to get some money. Oh. Ron Watkins. Fuck, dro- really, was it? <laughs> yeah, he's doing his, like, Q drop thing where he's trying to, like, sound really, like, sort of uh-huh. prophetic but having no substance whatsoever. Alex Jones, I don't I don't even keep up with Alex Jones. So that being said, I should check check out on Telegram. I'm sure they've got an InfoWars Telegram that basically just spends most of its time talking about low testosterone and how you can fix it with their $50 pills. <laughs> that's, well, yeah, that's what I thought. Anyway. Anyway, anyway look, so it's okay. Banjo. Well, you don't have to worry about it because I've just we've just found out, we've just made a revelation that it turns out that Nick Patterson's legal defense fund isn't necessary. Oh. He's getting legal aid. See, the thing with Nick and his fucking moron mates is they set up- Technically, I pay for that. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. (laughs) That's actually a little bit true. So essentially what's happened here is that they've set up this massive legal fundraiser and they haven't realized that you can publicly see who's representing you in court. So they've (laughs) raised all this money 
And like, they're not backtracking. They're not saying, oh, cool, we'll give you refunds. We got legal aid. No, yeah. no, it's, it's, it's free all money. It's, it's free going money. towards his uh, prison canteen money, I think, because he's <laughs> going away for a fucking decent stretch. Oh, it's true. It'd be best paid into his TAB betting account. Yes. Um, that's, yes. That's, like, that's like cash in jail. Yeah. Uh, now, we asked listeners to send us an email if they've come across something really, really stupid said by Black Bill Fuckwits. We want your input, listeners, if you've recently come across something posted that is so odd, so bizarre, that it can only be appreciated by the criminally stupid, drop us a line. We'll send you a stubby holder and some assorted TCRP tatter that I've just find around mm. the place. If you make we my will. life easier and send me a quote we can use on the show. We at the Conditional Release Program understand listening to this program requires a fairly large dose of intoxicants and they're Best served cold and kept cold. And the only way to keep your preferred poison cold is a TCRP stubby holder. The only stubby holder clinically proven to keep drinks cold. And I've got all the data on that if anyone wants it. <laughs> because let's face it, the rest of them are just shit. To be honest, I'm actually using one right now. And if I'm violently arrested by the police, I'm going to do a Morgan C. Jonas and say, tell me the numbers on stubby holders. Which ones work? Which ones work? You could bribe them. You could bribe them and say, you can have this stubby holder. If only you, you just yeah, don't arrest me. Yeah, just just make everything go away. So drop us a line, listeners, to the conditional release program at gmail.com. And now it's time for our deeper dive. And it's a very serious business this week, and we intend to be serious for a little while because this is a horrible thing. We're going hunting for a pedophile priest in our deeper dive. <laughs> Today's deep dive takes us to Ballarat in Victoria's West, where we consider the life and crimes of pedophile priest Paul David Ryan. Paul David Ryan, he is always known by the extended form of his name to avoid confusion with others. He seems to prefer it as well, and recently has hyphenated the Paul and the David. Uh, <clears throat> he was mentioned in the conditional release program several weeks ago after it was reported the US state of Virginia had charged the former Australian priest with... Uh, two felony counts of carnal knowledge by force of a minor. The Attorney-General of Virginia, Mark Herring, has indicated that the US will seek to extradite Ryan to the US to face those charges. There is an expectation there will be more charges and more victims. Now, in our deeper dive, we're going to take you through Paul David Ryan's adult life. Many questions will arise, but we'd ask you to stick to three major questions. How did this man become a priest? How did he continue as a priest? And finally, how did he leave the priesthood uncharged. Uh, Paul David Ryan left Ararat prison in Victoria two, two weeks ago, 21st of May. It was his second period in jail for his crimes. The first was in 2006 when he was convicted of sexual assaults and received an 18-month term in prison. He appeared at the Royal Commission into uh, institutional responses to child sexual abuse and gave evidence in 2015. He was confident, almost cocky, thinking his criminal convictions to that time were not of the seriousness of, say, Gerald Ridsdale, who, can, who counted hundreds of victims in the Ballarat Diocese. And what we now know is that there are many, many more victims of Paul David Ryan. And Stevie Blacker is a victim of Gerald Ridsdale and now a strong advocate for other victims. How many victims uh, do you think Paul David Ryan had? When it goes, when we go to the Royal Commission, it, it, it's almost expressed like a, a sort of a handful, but it was, it was many more than that. Yeah, I my reading and, and, and having listened and read back his, his transcripts at the Royal Commission is he was obviously charged first in 2006. Yes. I think he, in the typical narcissist belief, came to the view that uh, he was in the clear. And so uh, at the Royal Commission, he obviously played down his um, crimes and his influence, and he didn't give the full picture in terms of how that how he came to being um so he was happy to buck poking down so in terms of what are the numbers um you know a reliable authority uh so picker uh ryan was appointed for parishes in the southwest at timboon uh, sorry at, at um terang warrnambool and penshurst now yes. the conservative view is that there's at least 60 victims in that region alone. Yes. That doesn't cover um, Mildura uh, and other places you would think to. Ar Ararat, would, we know that he offended in Ararat as well too. Um, uh, so so a, a figure of 80 victims, 
just in Victoria might be reasonable. Paul David Ryan had a predilection for teenage boys. It was well known by uh, officials within the Catholic Church over many, many years. In 1971, at the age of 19, he was expelled from St Francis Xavier Seminary, a training college for priests in Adelaide. He was he was rejected by uh, St Francis Xavier Seminary for what was described loosely as misconduct. Yeah, so we're, we're led to believe it was homosexual activity um, with other seminarians. So he was kicked out, kicked back to Mildura, where he, he worked as a, a teacher's aide of some sort in uh, in the Catholic system up there, and then uh, was amazingly sponsored into Corpus Christi Seminary at Werribee um, under the, uh, uh, sponsored in by the Bishop of Ballarat at the time, uh, Bishop Ronald Mulcairn, under the urgings of a priest by the name of Ronald Pickering. It was unbelievable. I mean, clearly Paul David Ryan was not a fit person to be a priest, but the Bishop of Ballarat, Ronald Austin Mulcairns, thought otherwise, providing a personal reference for Ryan to continue his studies at the Corpus Christi Seminary in Melbourne, which was already a hotbed of pedophilia. Ryan abused boys at the seminary, and this again was well known among church officials. But let's go back. Having been cast out of the Adelaide Seminary, Paul David Ryan became a teacher's aide and tutor. We know this because he tutored Dennis Ryan's three boys who were attending the local Catholics, Catholic high yeah. school in Mildura in Victoria's Northwest. Uh, Dennis Ryan was a police detective, and we've talked about him on previous episodes. And in 1971, he was trying to prosecute a particular, a particularly uh, prolific pedophile, Monsignor John Day. And that story was told by Dennis and myself in the book Unholy Trinity. Uh, Dennis would lose his job in the force for trying to prosecute Day. Senior Vic Pol officers pushed Dennis Ryan out of the job he loved. And these cops were covering up for the church and its many pedophile clerics. It's all been, you know, it's all been basically uh, uh, agreed to by Victoria Police. There are, there are no doubts. And while Dennis Ryan was doing battle with forces beyond his reckoning, he had Paul David Ryan turn up on his door. Uh, Dennis had no idea what dangers Paul David Ryan held to his children. No one did. You know, the church kept its secrets close. Uh, Dennis Ryan first came into contact with Paul David Ryan in 1971. Dennis, tell me what you remember about Paul David Ryan. Paul, the first time I ever heard about Paul David Ryan was at that time I was living on what's known as a block, a small farm at Redcliffe in Algeria and the lady opposite me in, in the, the opposite block rang me, her name was Molly Power and she said that she had boarding at her place a young fellow that would be a good tutor if I needed someone who assists my children through school. So... I was interested and uh, mm. overcame Paul David Ryan. What do you remember about him? What do you remember about how he looked and uh, did he uh, give you the creeps a little bit? Uh, he, he gave me some of his credentials and he was teaching at St. Joseph's College in Missouri, and uh, which was good enough for me because all my children went to St. Joseph College. So, uh, I'm always employed him to tutor my boys, and I insisted that he keep the doors open. That was only a safeguard in case. He, he, he wanted, while he was tutoring your, your, your sons, he wanted to close the door? Yes, he did. And you said no? Now, you would, you would not have known, you could not have possibly known, but at this stage, Paul David Ryan is a very young man and he'd been asked to leave the St Francis Xavier Seminary in Adelaide. Um, you could not have known that, um, but he'd been asked to leave for so-called misconduct uh, and that misconduct included, uh, very much included the fact that he had a predilection for um, uh, preying on teenage boys. How do you feel about that now? Well, having gone through all that I have in relation to pedophilia and priests within the Catholic Church, I'm a little bit uh, disgusted. But, uh, my next door neighbour, Molly Power, should even recommend him to me to tutor my boys. 
Paul David Ryan, an active pedophile, was ordained a priest on May 28, 1976. Within days of him becoming a priest, he sexually assaulted a boy. And the boy's mother complained to Bishop Mulkerns, but nothing came of it. Well, Mulkerns, wary of the mother, in, instead shipped Paul David Ryan off to the US for what was loosely called studies. He was due to be in the US for three years, but he was back within one. And this was a familiar pattern. Mulkerns would move him around the Ballarat Diocese or send him away to the US, often for long periods. But Paul David Ryan would disgrace himself and be home in quick time. The second trip to the US in 1979 coincides with the felony counts that have been lodged in Virginia. And we've got here a statement from the Virginia Attorney General that states... Our investigation with Virginia State Police into potential clergy abuse in the Commonwealth remains ongoing, and I want to encourage anyone who may have more information about this case or any other instances of abuse to please reach out to us as soon as possible, said Attorney General Mark Herring. I understand that coming forward with this kind of experience can be difficult or scary, but I pledge to you that no matter how long ago the incident occurred, we will take it seriously and ensure you get the support and help that you need and deserve. Uh, what he's really saying there is that they expect uh, many more victims or uh, more victims to come forward because Paul David Ryan literally offended wherever he went, wherever he was placed by church authorities. He was even promoted to parish priest in Penshurst in Victoria Southwest, an appointment that saw him unsupervised and let loose on children in 1989. Yeah. He was offending there, and many of those offences are now the sub- uh, subject of litigated claims. Mulkerns and uh, other church officials knew he was a pedophile pretty much the first day, from the first day he walked into the church. And the shuffling around from parish to parish overseas to overseas appointments uh, is sadly not really a story. It was commonplace and Paul David Ryan's many appointments, shuffling him off to new towns, new places and new groups of unsuspecting potential victims was a a predictable response from Mulkerns. It had happened with Ridsdale, it had happened with Day. It was a a practice, just move them on. But what is new about the case of Paul David Ryan and remains largely unknown is that police should have acted much quicker but did not for reasons that bear scrutiny. And for those who have followed the epidemic of clerical pedophilia in the Ballarat Diocese, one date is significant. Day in March in 1993 where Gerald Ridgedale was convicted for the first time. Now, it is true that Ridsdale was convicted of relatively minor offences at this time. Uh, Ridsdale was sentenced to a year in prison and served nine months. And despite complaints received by police of penetrative rape on numerous occasions, for some reason, prosecutors chose only to pursue him at this time for what are minor offences. Not to trivialise them, but the more serious stuff that would have landed him in jail for a very long time in 1993 were not pursued, and that is a story in itself. But the date remains significant because Mulkerns and others within the Ballarat Diocese and further across the country understood that the first round of convictions for Ridsdale would necessarily open the floodgates, you know, that this could no longer be uh, uh, swept under the carpet. There was going to be this massive outcry of of victims of uh, uh, clerical pedophilia. Uh, and after Ridsdale was convicted in 1993, everyone's getting their uh, their ducks in a row. The, the church faced a, a flood of litigated claims uh, against a number of priests, including Ridsdale, of course, and Paul David Ryan. And famously, they said uh, it was said uh, by the then Premier Vic, uh, Jeff Kennett. He told uh, Archbishop of Melbourne George Pell, "Fix this, or I will." Meaning. You know, you need to respond to this flood of claims of child sexual abuse with a serious response or I will announce a Royal Commission. Now, George Bell did create what is known as the Melbourne Response or Compensation Scheme, relevant only to the Melbourne Archdiocese, uh, the general Melbourne area. It is generally considered a most unsatisfactory way of responding to victims' claims, but that is not the story either. So Ridstar's first conviction obliged yeah. the church and bishops like Mulcairns to get, their, get everything in order, and this included a great deal of cover-up, and the Victoria Police Force too had much to cover up for, as we know yep. from the Dennis Ryan story. So, in 1993, in the wake of Ridsdale's first conviction, the Ballarat established what became known as the Special Issues Committee, which became an investigative body designed to examine the conduct of certain priests, including Paul David Ryan, and make recommendations to the bishop on whether they should remain in the priesthood or be sent packing. 
Now, I know of three priests, and one of them is Paul David Ryan, who have very, quiet, very quietly had their priestly duties withdrawn. And this was considered an appropriate response, but many would come to see this as a, you know, the diocese removing priests who, who just sort of stood as embarrassments. They knew there was going to be a, a furor about pedophilia, particularly in Ballarat. And so the, an embarrassment like Paul David Ryan and two others was simply moved on. And in 1994, the Special Issues Committee recommended Paul David Ryan be laicized, which is basically uh, what we might think of as being defrocked, uh, losing losing uh, any sort of priestly status. And this got him out of harm's way, of course. It, get, it got him out of harm's way as far as the diocese is, is concerned. Uh, but none of the investigations conducted by the committee led to prosecutions. It would take another 12 years before Paul David Ryan was finally sent to prison. So 2006. But in 1994, Paul David Ryan was merely sent from the clutches of the church. He received a sum of money that I'm told was $50,000 as an active pedophile, given $50,000 by the church, by the diocese, by the Ballarat diocese, and given an employment separation certificate signed by then Vic, uh, Vicar General Brian Finnegan, which allowed him to access welfare benefits. And we know that after 1994... Paul David Ryan travelled to Cape York yeah. and worked unsupervised with children. We believe, uh, in fact, he was uh, when he was charged, he was extradited from Cape York. <clears throat> so he'd been up that way. And so, uh, and we believe that he also may have worked in Broome in northwestern Australia and worked there with children, again without supervision. So the fact that he has been moved on from the priesthood is really the church's way of saying, well, he's not our problem anymore, but he's still a problem for for a, for a community, wherever he is, he's a danger to children. Because wherever he goes, he commits these acts. They're, absolutely. Now, there are no specific reports of offending in Cape York or in Broome, but what I can report is both of those areas have very, very high um, numbers of suicides beyond the national average even for Indigenous males. So that would be a sign that uh, that uh, there'd be something going amiss in that in that in those communities for a while. Yeah, wherever these people go, suicide follows. Yeah, Paul David Ryan was let loose on these communities and remained free to do so and, and do as he pleased. Really, from 1994 until 2006, so 12 years, when he was first convicted of child sex offending and jailed. You know, that's 12 years of an active pedophile being allowed to run around the community with no in communities with no warning, no limitations on on who he could on who he could uh, speak with, no uh, you know basically expectations that he should be supervised as attached to the Ballarat diocese. What was its function and who approved it? The committee contained a number of priests. There was also a retired magistrate and a private investigator. There was also a serving member of the Victoria Police Force. And we know that member of the force received at least two complaints from parents who informed that officer that their children had been sub subjected to sexual abuse from priests, one complaint related to Paul David Ryan. And despite these charges uh, were not laid against Paul De David Ryan and would not be for another 11 years, instead he was given a sum of money and sent his way no longer the church's problem. Embarrassingly, during the Royal Commission, it was discovered Paul David Ryan remained technically at least a priest. He'd had his priestly duties withdrawn from him. That that means that he cannot basically serve the Eucharist, which is, you know, weird. It, it basically, he cannot conduct mass. Um, <clears throat> but that's the only restraint on him. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Anyway, so uh, it was found out he's still technically a priest and, and uh, he was very, very quickly uh, laicized by papal decree in 2016. Now, look, this is just no way to treat victims, right? So we, we have Paul David Ryan with as many as 60, 70, 80 victims and he's just sort of, his, his punishment is that he's taken away from the, the clutches of the church and that meant that he was just free to offend again on unsuspecting children. And how this arrangement was put in place is a deep mystery. Did the upper echelons of Vic Pyle approve of the appointment of the serving police officer to the Special Issues Committee? Did the Chief Commissioner at the time, Neil Comrie, know about this? But we don't know at this stage. And the role of the Special Issues Committee remains largely uninvestigated. The Royal Commission, for whatever reason, it's not immediately clear why, chose not to examine what was going on. 
And was this a case of, of police interference at a two-decade later revisit of the same cosy arrangements between police and the church that led Dennis Ryan to lose his job as a Vic Pole detective in Mildura in 1972. Uh, these are questions that need answers. And two years on into investigating investigating them, it's taken me that long, I must admit I am really none the wiser. But what I can say is that this story is part of a much larger one that saw the Diocese of Ballarat become sort of ground zero for clerical pedophilia, that, you know, the preconditions were, were all in place. I mean, how what were those preconditions? Well, we can take it all back to Dennis Ryan and uh, the Vic Pole detective who uncovered the church's practice of moving offending priests on, onto other parishes, onto other communities, onto other groups of unsuspecting children. What Dennis also uncovered was a nexus between the church and police where conspiracies between cops and senior Catholic officials ensured that no priest would be charged, no matter the seriousness of their crimes. And that all blew up in 1994 in the wake of Ridsdale's conviction. But those conspiracies, you know, obviously continued well beyond 1972 and, and up to and possibly beyond that 94, 95, 95 period. And you've got to ask yourself, with not just the church against you, but police as well, what chance did victims have? You know, the church ignored them and police would not act. And what we can say is it led to an epidemic of child sex offending and the ongoing sorrow of Ballarat. It's been estimated by some people in Sano that it could be as many as a thousand. I would put days offending up at a thousand, and then we've got and then we've got Paul David Ryan, who you know. So in terms of victims, there we've got over just in with those three priests, prolific offenders though they were, uh, that 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 conceivably could count, you know, basically more than 2,000 victims between three priests alone. Yeah, which is which is a shocking number. Um, you know, and then you add in Dell and Best, Clappy. Yeah. All, the, all these other pickerings yeah. and all these and, other and, creeps. And you, be, and you begin to understand the sorrow of, of Ballarat, the multi-generational traumas, the... the, 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 the you know, the lives basically sort of rent asunder um, um, <coughs> and, and, and and that's what, when we refer to the sorrow of Ballarat, we're not specifically talking about the town, are we? We're talking about a large chunk of Western Victoria that yep. sort of extends from Portland to Mildura, down to Ballarat and around through Colac and and with literally thousands of victims in a post-war period. So what fate might await Paul David Ryan in the US? Yeah, look, I don't. I think he should really soak up his last breath in Australia because once he's extradited, he won't be making it back to Australia alive. Yeah, the jail system is very different in America, uh, particularly for um, uh, people that have committed crimes like him. He's relatively, you know, he's in his seventies, um, and I don't, I don't think um, he's going to get the roll up. Um, provisions that he that he got in Australia, and, and you have to remember his last um, botch batch of um, criminal convictions. You could argue were botched um, to an extent, um, where he, he wasn't charged with um, a, a, a crime that he should have. He actually was offered a uh, to plead to a lower charge, which he gleefully took because he knew it was resulted in, in in less jail time. So uh, he's going to get none of those benefits in the US. Um, and you would think that once um, the first lot come forward, then um, that'll just precipitate the rest. So I, I doubt he'll ever set foot in Australia again. And we must put this extraordinary state of affairs aside for now. I'll be continuing to demand answers from the church and the police, but we need to lighten things a bit. And and it's <laughs> the best way to do that is to reach out to our mate, very close friend of the program, Pete. Yes, it's the week in Pete Evans. It has been a huge week in Pete Evans. Huge. In the aftermath of the $80,000 fine and the sense that things might not be going too great for his career, Pete had a realisation. 
that it was time to take a break off social media. Now, one could argue that social media has actually been taking a break from Pete for some time now. After being banned from Facebook and Instagram, he was forced into the hellscape that is Parler and the loony bit of Telegram. To put it in high school terms, you didn't dump social media, Pete, because social media dumped you first. While he's actually been off social media, and by social media, I mean Telegram, for the good part of two weeks now, in textbook Pete Evans fashion, it was only two days after he made his dramatic I'm off the socials announcement that he posted another fucking Tucker Carlson video. He announced his temporary break from sharing Tommy Robinson content with another one of those incredibly annoying videos he does with his horse. I mean, like, I love horses, but I feel like he uses the poor horse to humanize himself and make him seem less like a craggy-faced conspiracy theorist. Feels good, though. Pete has been responsible for building a lot of people, lots of normies, gone by the wayside, and I dread to think of the negative impact he's had on individuals and families because of his love for shitposting and conspiracy memes. His break from social media might give some people who primarily get their white nationalist chemtrail fix from their favorite cook a well-needed break as well. For the, all the talk about meditating and experiencing nature, they sure spend a shitload of time watching bitshoot videos. Pete's been out spending time with his new mate, Dave Oneegs, and I don't really get this Dave character. I mean, he's a genuinely bizarre person with paranoid beliefs that make Pete seem relatively sane, but they both share one thing in common, a paralyzing fear of clouds. These guys are utterly terrified of all forms of sky-based water vapor and love to talk about it. So it's good to know that while Pete might not be on Telegram convincing people to be scared of the sky, he is in discussion with his totally rational fear with his only friend, Dave. So I do hope that Pete stays off social media for a while because it's got to fuck with his head. I mean, while I'm probably throwing stones in a glass house here, I tend to look at the depressing fringe of politics, which he's a part of, but through a lens of derision and comedy. I mean, I find these people funny and fascinating. Pete's just constantly looking up more reasons to be terrified of society. Everything's trying to kill him and everything is plotting to just ruin the world. Like it's got to wear you down. So look, take the rest of the week off. Shit, take the month. Because as much as I think you as a genuinely terrible human being, if you just stop watching fucking Tucker Carlson and Tommy Robinson content, there may still be hope for you yet. And you have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider and Joel Hill. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. And if you've enjoyed our bullshit, throw us a five-star review on your podcast app. My cat is trying to get in front of the microphone, but Jack can be found on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with a K. We set up a Facebook page, which you can find fairly easily. Just search for the Conditional Release Program. We're like the only thing outside of a few parole programs like Virginia. Um, also, promoting a podcast is easier said than done. And honestly, if you guys like this, share, the, share this episode. Share another episode if you think this one was a bit shit. Um, share it for the sake of my cat. Because my cat is deeply, deeply attached to our audience numbers. And when they go down, she gets really upset. And she starts really interfering with recording, which is cool. Puss, please, give me a moment. And uh, all feedback, puss, tips and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, even if you just wanted to tell us how fucking depressing this week was. Because that was really, really depressing. Wow heavy shit. Um, Hopefully it'll be funnier next week and uh, I'll see you then. Cheers.